Welcome to the Cardinal Cafe. My name is Greg Chastain, and I'm the president of Voices of Hope, along with my sidekick, Ed, who is the vice president of Voices of Hope. Hey, Ed, how's it going? Good, Greg. How are you? Good. We have an amazing show today. I can't wait to get started to talking with uh, Elliot from Jordan's Furniture who's joining us today. Hey, Elliot, how are you? I'm doing terrific. You know, this is a beautiful day outside today. The sun's out, and we're all breathing and living and uh, enjoying life. So Absolutely. It's a gorgeous day. My my yard loved the rain yesterday, though, I can tell you that. I'm tired of watering, <laughs> so I'm glad it rained a little bit. Yeah. But uh, I can't thank you enough for coming on. You're an icon in our area, New England. And, um, oh, stop. I, I just really appreciate you coming on. <laughs> we usually, we start off with a little sports banter, Ed. So let's bring Elliot in and talk about the Red Sox. <laughs> I'm talking to him now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the Red Sox, they did have a, uh, a little tough, tough series here. Um, was splitting, but I, I think, Elliot, maybe you were happy that you didn't have a promotion for the Red Sox giving up eight home runs in one game at home. <laughs> I, you would have lost right off the bat. You want to know something? We go through this with the insurance companies, and we think of all kinds of scenarios, like how many triple plays, how many uh, hits could the Red Sox have in one game or in an inning. I mean, we come, we go through all these different things to see what we can make sense of. And of course, the whole idea with the insurance company has to be a, a chance that it could happen. And we mm -hmm. have to come up with something that they think could happen and something that we can afford to pay for the insurance. And of course, the insurance company right now is rather nervous and very <laughs> uh, upset and calls me all the time and to stop the promotion, which, you know, obviously it's over now. But the no-hitter thing with what's going on with six no-hitters already is crazy. Oh, wow. So this thing could happen. We'd love it to happen. It's all <laughs> insured. Matter of fact, we were having a meeting today talking about, well, what do we do if it happens? And there's like 36,000 customers that have bought furniture, close to $100 million on this thing if this happens. And I said, well, we should have a big party. Let's have everybody come to the, to the store. And they said, do you know how many people that is? There's no way that all fit. <laughs> we couldn't take over. We said, so we'll take over TD Garden and we'll have a big party and everybody will get their checks. I mean, do something exciting with it. But let's let's let it happen first, then we'll figure it out. Yeah, well, that's great. Well, you must have had something to do with um, baseball sending out the letter today saying no more spider tack because that's why that's why they think all the no hitters were happening because they're exactly. using that spider you know, tack. Yeah, and, and Cora is in a tough place right now watching everything that's going on. Oh, oh <laughs> I know. Two of our members won their whole house of furniture from you in 2004. And you know what's interesting? Those people didn't tell anybody that they won furniture, did they? No, uh, Everybody well, that won furniture told the world. It's like, <laughs> you're stupid. I'm smart. I bought furniture. I got it for nothing. You didn't. Ha ha. <laughs> it's really funny how that happened. Uh, Everybody knows somebody that won free furniture yep. because yeah. everybody that won told the world. And I don't blame them. Well, I did buy a piece of furniture from you this year. And since the promotion's over, we didn't win, thanks to the Red Sox not throwing a spike. <laughs> so no, no hitter there. But you know, It'd just be nice if you paid for the furniture that you bought. Right. You know, I mean, come on. <laughs> we're paying for it. Oh, it's, okay. all, it's actually, we just paid it off. So we're oh, paid. There we we go. just finished. <laughs> and now you need more. Got to keep it going. We'll, we'll be there. We're there a lot. Our friends at Fuddruckers, <laughs> we're there a lot. That's right. <laughs> good, good. We've actually um, performed in your lobby uh, every Christmas around the holidays. Fuddruckers um, has us come in and sing carols out in front of Fuds at the Reading store. So we've been oh, doing cool. that for the last yeah. five years. Yeah. Yeah. You didn't do it this year, though. No, we couldn't do it this year. We should come down to the Enchanted Village and do it. Oh, that Ooh, would be great. That would you be know, the awesome. Enchanted Village, we put through close to 200,000 people in six weeks. It's nuts. Well, when we're done here, we'll get in touch with Heather and we'll uh, 
we'll see if we can do that. We we go everywhere. We we I, how many did we do? Like ten to fifteen caroling things a year. Uh, you would love to do it at the village because you sometimes I'm like on weekends as it gets close to Christmas. I mean, there's thousands of people waiting to get in. Yeah. Oh. So while they're waiting to get in, you could be entertaining them and get them. Oh. Out. Oh, and our members love doing that. So yeah, that yeah, would great. be great. Yeah, we'd love it. We've been lucky enough the last few years, we've done it on an opening of one of the superheroes. So it was just packed with people. There you go. <laughs> That's when we saw Dale's art because we were hanging out in the lobby waiting. Oh, cool. Uh, yeah. yeah cool. So very nice. So one of the things I, I really am interested in um, when I go to your store is I look at the adoption area because I was adopted when I was three days old. So I'm big on that. You remember it well, right? Yeah. I just remember it. My, the funniest thing was when uh, my mom passed, we were going through her papers and my daughter found a sheet from the state of Indiana where my mom bought me for $3. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, what do you mean bought you? <laughs> it, it was a receipt. It had my name. Oh my God! Three dollars, and uh, you are now adopt. You have an adopted child. <laughs> so, and, and, what, and what do you think we could get today for you? Probably five. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you you overrate yourself, Greg. Yes. Is all of that mileage on you? Come on. Uh, well, maybe yeah. Probably two fifty now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What got you interested in the whole adoption CEO? Well, it was interesting. As our business started to grow and we were starting to actually make money because for years we didn't, we wanted to, you know, get involved in some some kind of charity. And my brother and I both at that time loved anything to do with children. We wanted something to do with children. And I think the key was at that time, too, was we didn't want somebody to just give out a check. That That's not what we were interested in, just writing out a check and give it to an organization and raise just money. We wanted something that we could be involved in and, and see and feel and touch. And that's involved with a lot of things that I've done in, in the charity world. We went to an event in Worcester. Somebody came in from Mayor, Mass Adoption Resource Exchange. Carolyn Smith came in telling us about Mayor. We never heard of it. We didn't know what it was. And she invited us to go to an event down in Worcester. And I'll never forget it. We're sitting there in this big audience, and there was all these people. Most of them had been adopted or were involved with foster care and so forth, or not adopted. And this girl stood up, and she was in college. Her first freshman year of college, she was in foster care. And she was out of foster care at that time because she was already 18. So she, she was on her own. Christmas time, or Thanksgiving, everybody was leaving to go home at, in the dorm. And she didn't have a place to go. Mm -hmm. She had no place to go. And she was telling this story about how it evolved and what she did. And, and they were telling us she couldn't stay in the dorm because the dorm had to close because everybody had to leave. And she didn't have a place to go. So one of her friends asked her to come with. And I listened to her. And this girl was beautiful. And she spoke beautifully. And I said, I started to cry. And I was watching her. And I said, this isn't fair. I said, all this time she's been involved in foster care, tossed from one house to the other. She's in college. She's beautiful. She's smart. She's articulate. And, and here she is, like, had no place. I said, this isn't right. This should not happen. So the more we got involved with foster care and adoption, we realized there's a big need out there. And that's kind of how it started. And, and I still remember to this day watching her. That's really what turned us on. And then it snowballed from there. And a lot of what we've done with foster care and adoption is thinking out of the box. That's how we built the business. That's how we, you know, we run this business. We try and do everything in a very different, unique way. I've always said, if you do things the same way everybody else does, you're going to be the same as everybody else. Right. And I wanted to be different. 
bringing unique ideas to foster care and to mayor and to these, this organization. We got involved with DCF, Department of Children and Families. We got involved with quite a few people involved in the process. It was amazing the amount of people we met. And I mean, met foster parents that have had 150 foster kids. I mean, just amazing people that have given their lives to others. Then there's the bad acts. Then there's the problems that always come up to somebody that was doing it for the money and neglect and abuse and all the things that come up. Those are the ones that make the, the headlines. Right. And yes, does it happen? Yes, it does. I'm sure it does. But it's not the majority. The majority, more than the majority, are wonderful people that are trying to help. And it's not about making money because they make very little money. And I've met some amazing people and my hat's off to all of them. It's, it's quite an organization. And through our work at Jordan's and all the events that we've run, which have been many, many, over 20 years we've wow. been doing this. We've had over 500 kids actually adopted. Wow, that's fantastic. And many of the adoptions we go to, there's National Adoption Month. And the week that they have it, they have a big thing at the courthouse. And I usually speak if I'm around and I go to a lot, sit in a lot of the adoptions. And it's the craziest thing because there's a courthouse that these judges are usually dealing with some terrible issues and crime and all the rest of it. This is a happy day for them. They're in their, they're in their, their judges room and, and so forth. And they're excited. They're happy. They're giving out teddy bears to kids and, and, and formalizing <laughs> adoptions. And they take pictures with the kids. And they all come to me and say, this is the best day because they're involved with the stuff during the year that's terrible. It's a great feeling to see, uh, you know, see success. Unfortunately, there's still a million kids out there that, that too many kids that have not found homes and, and are lost. And we do things for them. We run a big event for uh, kids that graduate in high school. And we run a big event in our IMAX theater bring them in, serve them dinner, and, and have a party for them. And then we bring in speakers. We've had Menino, we've had the governors, we've had, you name it, we've had, you know, top people come and speak to the kids. I speak to the kids and try and get them motivated, try and get them to think that, you know, they've been through some tough times, but you learn mm -hmm. from your experiences and they've experienced so much that they're actually better than the people sitting next to them that haven't gone through this. That's true. And they need to look at it in a positive way and that's what we try and do. I mean, we can sit, we sit and talk, usually try and talk to each kid and a little bit and find out where they're going, what they're going to do now. There's kids that are going to top schools that, you know, medical schools and, and they're, they're on sabbaticals going to Europe. Then there's the kid that just sits there and looks at you. And I said, so what are you going to do now? He says, I want to buy a car. I said, <laughs> do you have a job? No, I'm going to get one. You know, I mean, you can see the difference in how some kids are just motivated at a different level than other kids. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, the future of some of those kids is not good at all. Statistics have shown that so many of these kids wind up in jail on drugs, and it's not right. We're all part of what we grew up with, our parents, and what we learned from them. Right. And these kids didn't get that. They didn't get that chance. And that's not their fault. Right, exactly. I can't even imagine what 2020 did to those kids. It's been horrible. You couldn't hold some of the things that you usually hold in 2020. and We couldn't do anything. Nobody could do anything. And the social workers couldn't even check on the kids. I mean, they couldn't go into homes. I mean, everything was at a lockdown and a standstill. And I'm sure there was terrible problems. And, and there are. They're, today, they're, they're living with the problem. I mean, one of the things that we did, they came to us and said, we need foster parents. So we ran ads on radio. We ran ads on TV. You know, have you ever thought about being a foster parent? Help a child, blah, blah, blah. It didn't work. 
It did not work. And one day I was sitting with a bunch of foster parents. I looked at them and I said, why do you do what you do? So they started to tell me. So I said, that's what we need. We need these people to go out and sell the process and sell what they do. Why do they do what we do? So we came up with a unique idea, and this was the plus one challenge. All we want you to do is go out and recruit and have another person like you go through MAP training and get involved and become a foster parent. And all you need to do is recruit one. And if you recruit one, you can come to a party. Wow. Trust me, I know how to throw a party. Mm. <laughs> and so and it's true. Well, I went to all of the foster care appreciation dinners in all the different towns, in Malden and Medford. I mean, I was running around to all these towns when they had appreciation dinners, and I went and told them and pitched what I was doing. I said, look around this room. Maybe there's 20, 30 people in this room. If you all recruit one more foster parent, we're going to double the amount of people in this room. And all you need to do is one. Mm. And because you do it, you can come to a party. And guess what? I know how to throw a party. And I did. <laughs> I took the Reading store. I converted it. I brought in the Marvelettes, the Coasters, and the Drifters, all the old-time groups. Wow. And I set up a big stage. We, we put on a whole show, and we had food and, and the bands and everything else, and it was a happening. Well, in that one night, how many foster parents do you think we recruited? I Hopefully double. How many do you think? Um, 200. 600 foster parents in one wow. night. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. But just thinking out of the box. It was the ads didn't work. It didn't work. And we said, what else can we do? I mean, we, we, we went to Fenway Park with kids. We came up with an idea. Let's, we got to get these kids adopted and so forth. So we, we made a deal with, with uh, the Red Sox. This is before I was involved with them. And it was very difficult to get involved because they wouldn't let you use the field. They wouldn't let you do anything. I convinced them. And we took the kids and we put them, we had all the kids come, the social workers come. We came up with games to get the kids to interact with people and we promoted it. Come and maybe change your life, meet a kid, so forth. We had each kid at home plate swinging his bat. Their picture was on the big Tron and everybody's seeing them. And we told a little, a little bit about each kid and that's what we did. And then the kids interacted with baseball cards, trying to, trying to get a set of cards by the people in the stands. And it was a big success. It's How all cool is that? Doing things different, differently yeah. than, than what the normal thing are. But all the events that we've been running in the past have been very successful. You know, we run the uh, adoption option where we bring in, you know, a lot of people, a lot of people, and we get people involved because they're coming into a furniture store. They're not going into a social service office and thinking about foster care or thinking about adoption. They, they want to find out about it. And we use yeah. the IMAX theater. We use our mattress department, all the dining room department. We take the dining room and we have people that have gone through adoption. And they're sitting there talking to people that are interested in it. And they learn what's good, what's bad. And then the social workers are there from all the different areas of the state. I mean, we have people from Pittsfield that come from all over to do this. That's what we've done. So we've been very successful at it. To me, when you talk about giving back and feeling good about what you do, is when I'm in the supermarket and I could be just in the aisle and all of a sudden this woman comes over and she says, I just want you to know, thank you for what you do. This Billy over here is because of you. Wow. And adopted. And I sat there and I, you yeah, know, they I can't thought, be a better feeling than that. You know, right? it's, it doesn't get any better than that. And to me, 
giving, there's one word that's missing. And that one word, when you say, you know, giving, it should be giving up. And to me, giving, true giving is when you give up something. If it's money, instead of buying that new car or that new boat, take that money and give it to a cause. You gave up something, mm -hmm. you're really giving. There's a lot of people that give, which is important. You have to do it. I do it. We all should do it. But did you really give up anything? I wrote out a check for 10 bucks. I wrote out a check for a million dollars. I wrote up a check. Doesn't matter. Wealthy people have a lot of money. They give them a million dollars. It's needed. It's wonderful. We want to keep it going. But true giving is giving up something. Did they not buy that car because I wasn't going to give it? I'm, I, you know, I want that special car, but I'm not doing it. I'm going to give it. Then I gave up something. Right. That's it's just amazing. my little philosophy of giving. I, I, and that's why I like to do it, use my time and my efforts along with giving money because it's very important. I, I know you're uh, trying to raise money for cancer, which is wonderful, and it's important, and, and God knows it's needed. And there's people dying all the time of, of this terrible disease, and it's definitely needed for the doctors and the research and, and medications and so forth that are needed. But there's other things you can do that you can feel and see. Mm -hmm. With my wife and my family, I lost an older brother to HIV many years ago, and we wanted to do something. So we got involved with a camp that was for children with HIV. Eventually, we started, we started by funding it, and then I spent time there with my wife, and we didn't like the way it was running. We said, let's just change. Let's do this ourselves. So we designed our own camp, set it up. And we were taking 100 kids every year for a week, gave them the time of their lives. And I've been doing, I was doing it for 18 years. Every summer, we would spend a week. And there was a week planning before and a week afterwards. And it was, I mean, we were exhausted. I'm, I wasn't at the point to be running around a summer camp all summer because we were feeding them entertainment. We brought in entertainment like you've never seen because I didn't care what it cost. I just wanted to give these kids fun. My wife would run it, keep it organized as to the activities and what's going on. We miss it. We use it. You probably know Ron Burton, the Ron Burton training. Village. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how we, we got involved with Ron. We rented his place, which helped him because I rented it for a week after his camp. So it helped him and they loved it. And, and as Steve Burton came down and Paul Burton was there all the time and Ron Burton Jr., mm -hmm. They were all there because I brought in, you know, professional magicians. I brought in rock bands. I mean, we brought in every, these kids didn't know. They had to, every kid would cry because so many of these kids were in shelters, were in bad situations, were in foster care, and they had tough lives. And this one week was important to them. And to, they, to this day, I'm still in touch. I haven't run the camp now for three, four years. I think it's been, and the good reason why is because kids aren't born with HIV anymore. Right. Yep. They have the medications to stop it. So we were having trouble finding kids because we took them from six to 12 years old. And so we were having trouble. Finally, we said it's, it's, it's a good reason to stop. Plus, my wife and I are getting older. It's not easy <laughs> yeah. to do it. But yeah. my sons were there. Their wives, were, you know, their wives came down. My oldest son got engaged at camp with fireworks. Wow. It's meant a lot to our family as a, a wonderful thing to do. So, you know, as far as giving and doing stuff, there's other things you can do besides just writing out a check. Yeah, that's so true. I bailed one of those kids out of jail. They called me because they all had my cell number. <laughs> and he says, I'm in trouble, blah, 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 blah. And I went down. 
and, and bail them out of jail. So, you know, this other, we stay in touch with these kids and have helped some of the kids that were illegal. We helped them get legal documents to become citizens. It's been great. It's been very rewarding. I'm very, very lucky because I have yeah. so much and I can do, and I can do a lot of things. That's just incredible. Yeah. I think you just answered one of my questions is how did you become such an iconic figure in the local community? I mean, just the work you do is just so amazing. You were born locally, correct? Yes, Newton. Newton. Yep, I had family in Newton, too, just off a Littlefield Road, Mm -hmm. uh, which is up by Newton North. That's where I was. I went to Ward School, Bigelow, and Newton North. Yeah, so what was the early childhood of Elliot like? I'll I'll tell you, we lived in a nice neighborhood, a nice middle-class neighborhood. My grandfather on my mother's side had some money. At that time, that was the type to keep families close together. Mm-hmm. My father worked in a little furniture store that was started by my grandfather, and it wasn't very successful. It was a tiny little store. There was maybe five people worked in the whole company. That's what it was. My grandfather bought a house for my mother and father, and I was one years old when we moved into this house, and it was in a nice middle-class neighborhood. My father couldn't afford the taxes. Said, here's the house. And he was house poor because he couldn't afford anything that was there. But we were in a neighborhood of a lot of wealthy people that were around us. So it was a mixed bag. And it was it was kind of strange. It really was. Because my mother would shop for clothes in all the Filene's basements and whatever she could get clothes for us when the rest of the neighborhood was living off of fancy stores. Right. They were going to Saks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, and that's what it, that's the way I grew up. But I think, you know, because of my father, my grandfather was an amazing man. He came here from Russia. He escaped. He had seven sisters. He was the oldest. His youngest sister, he carried on his shoulders to escape. He carried her through the Siberian desert. Ooh. And from it, wow. he, his hands got frostbite. He lost all his fingernails. Wow. And he's the one that started Jordans originally. And he couldn't read or write, really. And But he was the most amazing man. And I worked with him side by side with my father and my grandfather with the company. Because I was just a little kid. They used to have me coming in dust. And I was <laughs> doing the dusting. They paid me 10 cents an hour, and they always told me it was too much. You were the little pisher. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what it was. And I remember once I broke a vase because I was dusting and I knocked the thing over. Oh, my God. <laughs> you know, but that's what I grew up with. I didn't grow up with, I grew up with really nice, down-to-earth parents. And I think that's where that comes from, is giving and giving back. And because and, my father was that way and, and my mother was that way. And on one side, of my family was that way. The other side wasn't quite as different. It was more like right out of check and, you know, big deal. So that it was, it was very interesting, but I learned a lot from that. And I think people that give are giving because, you know, it was inbred in them. It, they, they, you get that from an early age. And at least I did. And I think I didn't know it, but, but you do. And yeah. how it's important to give back and to realize, especially when I basically came from very little, I mean, when I started in the business, we had one truck and my father had me working on the truck. I was delivering furniture to houses. Mm-hmm. And I remember, you know, that, I mean, we weren't doing $300,000 a year in the whole, the whole company. My father couldn't pay the payroll and I used to listen to him and talk about it and everything else. And then when I finally went into it, you know, I realized we, how we grew it 
we turned it into a success. We never thought we could, but we did. I think I appreciate from where all that came from. Yep. And I think that's so important. There's a lot of people that don't. It's not about money. It's, it's about being proud of yourself and feeling good inside. I, I look at also people that g give. Everybody's giving for themselves because it makes them feel good. Yes, you want to give to cancer. Yes, you want to do all these things. But truly, if you think about it, mm -hmm. I'm doing it because I want to feel good. I can afford it. I want to do it. It makes me feel good. And it makes a difference. It makes a difference, but you feel like you've accomplished something by mm -hmm. being able to do it. Yep. And the people that don't, they don't know what they're missing. They don't know. They're too into what they have, and they only give when they have to. They only give to be show, to, to show people I gave or this and that. I have a very good friend who you will know. I'm not going to mention his name. He's extremely wealthy, and he came from nothing, the same thing. He started in the real estate business by buying one two-family house. And he lived in one, and then he, he rented next door. Today, he has built up a mega fortune from that one start. He came from nothing. He is the most giving person that I know, and he wants nobody to know. I can call him tomorrow and tell him, I've got a family that's this, that, and everything else. He'll say, what do you need? How do you mention you need? No problem here. Write me out a check. He does it all the time for me. That's amazing. On one condition, wow. nobody knows. Yep. Then there's the people that want their name on every building yep. that they get. <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with that either. Because yeah. that makes them feel good, makes them feel good that they did it, and that's okay too. But then there's the people that do it because inwardly yeah. they want to feel good, they can, and but they don't want people to know. The yep. more people that know you give, the more people are coming after you everything for every little thing. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? You that's don't true know too. Anybody. You know, yeah. don't tell anybody because the world be calling them every day. I want to give because I want to give, not necessarily because somebody knows I give and they want to come to me for me to give. Exactly. And, and it's really important. It'll make people that can afford it and don't do it, they don't know what they're missing mm -hmm. to be able to give, whether it be giving time, because those are real special people. Let's say you, you don't have any money to give you, you're struggling yourself. But if you can give time and help out in a hospital, or help out in, in a camp. I mean, all our camp, the people that worked on our camp were all volunteers. Our chefs, all these people volunteered their time because they felt like, you know, we couldn't afford to, to give money, but we can give time. We'll spend a week at this camp. They took their vacation to work at the camp. That's special. That's really giving. Yeah, we, we talk to our, our members all the time about that because we have about 150 members. We do two big shows a year. And we're all volunteers from myself down. There's no salaries. There's no nothing. So once we pay for the rights to the shows and stuff, all that money goes to cancer research. They do thousands of hours of mm -hmm. rehearsals. People come see the show and they love it, but they don't see the behind the scenes like you're talking about. And we try to talk to our members all the time about, they always say, well, what else can I do? I'm like, you're given hundreds of hours of your time that you're not with your family that night because you had a rehearsal for three hours or tech week is 10 hour day a day. The other part of it is you will probably never know the person exactly. that you're helping. We're giving money to cancer research, and that might not help for 10 years down the road, 20 years down the road, because the drug they're testing now is not going right. to be ready for 20 years. But you're still giving of yourself, and we always try to reinstill that in our members so they always know how important and special they are and the time and talent that they're giving for what they're doing. And it speaks exactly to what you're saying. Yeah, it's giving of yourself. And, and a matter of fact, what I do, usually the last night at camp, 
we would sit around and talk about it. And now we have all these counselors that started with my my son's friends that became the counselors. That's how what they were in. They were in uh, college, just starting college. So they took all their college friends and they worked the camp and they loved it so much they would get more and it kept snowballing. That's how we got them. And, and that's how it snowballed. So they all volunteered that week and loved it. But they got to know all the kids and you could see the hugging and the kids on 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 the counselor's shoulders. And I mean, that's what the camp was all about. They realized the situation. And every morning they're bringing them for their meds because they had to take all these meds and all the rest of it that went on with it. And I would say to the kids with the parent, with the counselors there, I would say, you realize that all these people working here are doing it for nothing. Okay. So it's one thing to write out a check, but it's another thing to give of your time. Everybody here gave a week a solid week of their entire of their whole life mm-hmm. that they can never get back because you can make you, you give away money you can make more money you can get more money you can never get time back so when Great. you're giving time that's really special and all of these people working here to give you a good time was yeah. on them and it was their time they gave up that they can't get back and they would be hugging their counselors and thanking them and so forth and and what it is is in that respect you got to you got something back because you felt it and that's that's really special yeah it really is i mean we have um some of the doctors and the nurses from um mgh come out and talk to us at least two or three times a year and they talk they give us stories of the patients that we're giving our time to and it's like like you said their stories being told to our members who are giving of their time really instills that into them that they're helping in ways that right. they don't know how they're helping. Exactly. And they're doing it out of the kindness of their heart. Yeah, we're theater people at heart and we love to perform, but you could be performing in 20 different shows, but you choose to come back to this every year because you're you're wanting to use that time and talent to go out and help those people. You know, I'm a little bit yeah. of a tears from listening to you talk because I so appreciate that. We had doctors and nurses. We had doctors and nurses from the Mass General, from Brigham and so forth that came every year. Because we had to have a full staff of nurses and doctors. The kids all had all these meds. So we would have a whole bunch of nurses there. And the doctor would, would come and stay there. And, and that's how we ran the camp. Yeah. Without them, I couldn't have done it. I, I had to have professional help. And they all volunteered. I'm just floored by all that you put into this. I, I, I knew the stories of, of, of the things that you've done. And I've seen the, the press releases and things. But to hear you talk about how integral you and your family are in that, um, and how much you give just speaks so much more to me of what I see now and uh, and know of what you guys do. It's mm-hmm. just it's in, it's incredible. It's people like yourself that make a huge difference in this world. It's just incredible. Mm-hmm. I'm 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 floored by hearing the behind the scenes stuff. I mean, I st- I still realize when I think about it and all the things I've done, and and I'm not saying I did it for myself. It made me feel good. All of these things. If you really want to be honest with yourself, why did you do it? Because I love taking care of this kid. It made me feel good. I love being matching up a foster parent or or matching up a kid with a thing that made me feel good. In turn, it was doing good, absolutely. But why did I do it just to be good? No, I wanted me to feel good. No, you're doubling the benefit. You're helping yourself and you're helping somebody else. And if everybody in the world felt good, everybody would be in a much better mood. <laughs> Well, please join us next time and hear more of Elliot's amazing stories. He's quite a person, quite an organization. He had so many stories that we're going to get to share it twice. So 
Stay tuned for the next episode, which is next Friday, and enjoy uh, your week. Before we go, we definitely want to uh, let the people know what's happening in the Voices of Hope world. So, Ed, why don't you take that away? Sure. And the big thing that's happening in the Voices of Hope world is the 11th annual Bobber Bird Memorial Golf Classic, taking place Thursday, July 22nd at the Four Oaks Country Club in Drakeit, Mass. It's an 8 a.m. shotgun start. It's our second year at Four Oaks, and it was an amazing tournament last year. And we're looking for another awesome tournament this year. We are already more than half full. So I encourage people to get to vohgolf.com as quickly as possible so you don't get shut out of the tournament. We're going to have a lot of fun events like we do every year. Lots of great silent auction raffle prizes. I think we have an amazing piece of sports memorabilia. You want to tell them about Greg? Ooh, should we tell them or just be suspicious? No, they need to know. <laughs> okay. Well, we already teased them, so we got to tell yeah. them. Patriots sent us a Julian Edelman signed jersey, game jersey. The Red Sox, we have Red Sox tickets now to go along with the baseballs. Alex Verdugo and Erod. Very cool. Oh, wow. Nice. A couple of great baseballs. I'm uh, waiting for the Celtics to reveal what they're sending us in. We also have a home up in New Hampshire for a week. Some other really great local items um, that'll be coming our way too. So during the uh, lunch and afterwards, you have a lot of opportunities to uh, win some great prizes. Right. And you can also bid on them before you even take off for your round. How's that? Also, I think the highlight of the tournament is going to be on the putting green, where last year's putting contest was by far the most popular event of all and looks to be even more popular this year. Lots of great prizes being spread out along the putting green. All you have to do is be able to hit one of those prizes and you take it home. Exactly. And there's great opportunities for sponsorships as well. So if you go to vohgolf.com, you can click up there and find ways to sponsor the event. And along with uh, come and play some golf. It's a fun day. It's a great day. And you get to raise money for cancer while you're enjoying the day. So it's a win-win. Yep. Although you and I can't win-win because we're president and vice president. So we always have to play our worst on that day. It's so embarrassing to play. Well, we don't have to play our worst. We just don't report our actual score. (laughs) (laughs) And this year I I do have an elbow injury, so I'm going to be terrible. But I have a finger injury. I'm still recovering from my Super Bowl injury. That's right. Yeah. I don't even know if I can hold a golf club. The attack of the avocado. (laughs) (laughs) Knife. Knife. All right. Well, great. We're also putting together a virtual cabaret that will come out late summer, early fall for everybody. And we're in the talks for a possible holiday show. So keep watching uh, vohboston.org for all that uh, entertainment news. And uh, we have some other surprises we'll be talking about in the weeks ahead. So stay tuned. Remember